Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, this, this sermon tonight doesn't really fit into like a series or anything like that. It's kind of a standalone thing. It's something that kind of stems from uh, some feedback and things from a sermon I preached during Lent uh, that kind of, I guess, like peaked, peaked some interest here and there. And um, So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul talks about spiritual warfare. And it's a topic that, um, you know, it may seem a little bit strange, and, and, and it's strange, I think no matter how long you've been around Christians, it's still strange. So if you grew up going to church all the time, it's still a little bit strange. If you have, this is your first day in a church ever, it's strange to you too. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, all of us, it's just kind of a, a little bit unique, and uh, it's a topic that isn't preached on a ton here um, and, you know, there's not a reason for that. It just isn't. And, um, but as I've touched on it more and more in the last couple of years, it seems to be something that, that we're starting to realize corporately that we don't have a real good understanding of. And, and I think that there's, there's kind of two extremes in Christianity uh, in terms of, like, focus on the devil and demons, right? We either never talk about it. Or it's all that people want to talk about, you know. So either the evil, evil, either um, Satan causes everything, or Satan causes nothing. Let's pretend like he doesn't exist, or let's just blame him for everything. And both extremes are are not really correct. the The scripture definitely speaks to this, and so what I'd like to do is I want to read the passage, and I want to make kind of three three broad statements that I'll kind of draw from the text and kind of like make points within there and stuff. And then kind of read it again at the end and see if it maybe seems together a little bit more. So, all right, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having uh, fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, so you can see why people either love that text or they hate that text. And if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard a sermon where the the pastor either himself or someone else like dressed up someone and put the armor on them. That's not going to happen today. So you can just let go of that dream. Um, 
I remember when I was in college, there's a, a guy that preached this at TNT, and he like put everything on, but he just borrowed everything from his kids. And so it was like a Darth Vader helmet was the helmet of salvation. That's the only thing I really remember. But every, but, and nothing really fit him. It was all really small and left him very vulnerable as, a, as an adult. But um, <laughs> let me make three, three sweeping statements and um, kind of unpack them. The first one uh, is that spiritual warfare is real. The second statement is that God has equipped you for battle. The third statement is that you have to show up and fight. So spiritual warfare is real. God has equipped you for battle, and you have to show up and fight. All right, so the first one, spiritual warfare is real. Um, in terms of, of kind of thinking about what's, what this means, it's, I think it's helpful to kind of break our reality into two different realms. There's the seen, and there's the unseen. There's the seen and the unseen. And so within the seen, we essentially, to kind of like reduce it down, we have creation and all of our engagement with creation. Okay, so what's seen around us? Well, uh, we see the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the trees and the ocean. And, and we see one another and uh, we engage those things. So we look at... You look at a mountain, you're like, wow, that's a beautiful mountain. You know, it's like, wow, that's an incredible sunset. Or you see a double rainbow, you're like, what does it mean? You know, there's like this reaction to creation all the time. When we are responding to it, we see one another, we see people at their best, and we're like, man, people are awesome. And then we see people at their worst, and you're like, man, people are terrible, you know? We have this engagement there. We, see, we experience the joy and, and the pain and... Um, just the best and the worst parts of what God has created. We see the brokenness and we see the restoration and we see people made in the image of God and you see that breaking through and then you see the image of God being broken. And so all these things around us, these tangible, visible things are kind of in that category of what we see. Um, And it would be so easy to exist as if that's all that there is. And a lot of people around the world and, and, uh, and throughout history have, have chosen that approach to life. They've chosen not to, to believe in anything that is unseen going on, that this is all that there is, and so you live as though this is all that there is. But as Christians, we believe in the seen, and we also believe in the unseen. And that everything that we experience here, everything that is created is pointing us into the unseen, pointing us to God as the creator. So, in the, in the world that is seen, we have creation and all of our engagement with creation. In the unseen, again, to kind of just reduce it down, let's think in terms of we have God and we have angels in the unseen. Um, and again, it sounds a little kooky. Just bear with me. It's in the Bible. So uh, you have God and you have the angels. So you have God who is this infinitely superior uh, being. He is forever over all of it. He's over the angels, he's over creation, he's over everything that ever has been and ever will be. He is unseen, though. So when Jesus was walking the, the earth, people could look at him, and they were like, what's, what's up with this guy, you know? Well, that's why, because it was God walking around. They'd never seen that before. Never seen anyone like him before. And then he ascended after, you know, after the resurrection, and so now we're back into this situation where God is not visibly seen and we're having to trust in this unseen reality that God is everywhere and he is good. And so God's, the fullness of his power in this room, he's at 100%. 
Just like he is in heaven, he's at 100%. It's not vacillating, it's not you know, changing based on our behavior and stuff like that. He's just 100% here all the time, but, but he's in the unseen category. Except when creation is reflecting him correctly. But I don't want to get into all that, so let's just keep them separate for now. Okay? So God is in the unseen, and then there are angels in the unseen. You have two kind of categories of angels. You have God's angels, and then you have Satan and his angels. And as I said uh, during Lent, Satan is not God's equivalent. They're not like they're not yin and yang. Okay, they're not equals. That God is infinitely superior to the angels, and Satan is an angel, and all the demons are angels, and they are beneath him. And so they are not uh, adversaries in that kind of way. They're not equals. But Satan uh, is just. He thinks that they are. So, in terms of God's angels, they are there. They were created, and they are there serving and worshiping God. And they serve at His beck and call. And however He wants to use them, He can. And so, our belief is that the Scriptures teach that here in this room there are angels that are present if God wants them to be present. And and uh, everyone doesn't have a guardian assigned to them, but they are playing a role that we a lot of times just don't understand and, and weren't meant to. And and people get obsessed with it. They want to know so much about it because it's interesting. But at the end of the day, um, it's just not something that, that the Scriptures devote a ton of time to. Um, so you have God's angels, but then you have the, the like rebellious angels. And so at some point, between uh, God creating everything and it being good, and then Adam and Eve eating of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of, somewhere in there, uh, there was a, a very high-ranking angel who we know as the devil, or Lucifer, all these different names, right? He was a high-ranking angel who led a rebellion of angels to try and go against God somehow, thinking that they could overthrow him or they could be just like him. And uh, Angels have this choice, this free will that they have and we have. and um, They went against him, and God was like, no, we ain't, we ain't having that. And so God... Uh, has punished them for their, their rebellion, they were not given an opportunity to be redeemed the way that we were because humans are made in God's image and angels are not. And so there's this, this whole fleet of angels that bought into Lucifer's scheme to try and rival God and battle him, and they lost. And they've continued to lose all the way to this day, and they will lose forever. And so what this... this weird kind of like demonic presence means to us uh, is not that, that there's this like uh, equivalent to God that might win one day. The reality is that, that Jesus has already defeated the uh, like Satan and his angels and he has bound him and and so, uh, but they're determined to try and overthrow God and his kingdom. They, uh, they don't believe that what Jesus did was really effective. They just won't buy into it. That arrogance and that pride and that everything that, that led those angels to rebel is still there. They still carry it. Um, they're out of touch with reality. And so they're determined to go against God and his kingdom, still convinced that they can win. Um, so you have these scene, the, the, what we experience in the seen and the unseen, and they're intermingling all the time. Just all the time. And the Bible teaches us this. And the longer you walk with Jesus, you experience this, because even though he is unseen, there are times when you, just, you feel like he's right there with you, like his presence is so obvious to you. 
And there are times when you, you just know something isn't right. Um, when um, in going to Calcutta a couple of times, uh, one of the things that, that we do when, when we bring people over is Nabeen will take us to different parts of that city to see, to see kind of what they're up against culturally. And there's this one little pocket of the city where there's, it's the red light district, Kali Temple, which is like the oldest Hindu temple in like Southeast Asia. And there's Mother Teresa's home for the dying are all like clustered together in this one thing. And when your feet hit the ground, something weird is happening in that neighborhood. Like you can just, it's the creepiest thing in the world. And you're walking through the red light district in the middle of the day, and it's just, it's just it, you feel this heaviness on you. And you go down to the temple, and you see the sacrifices that they're making, and the prayers, and the devotion, and the idolatry. And it just makes you nauseous. And then you walk into Mother Teresa's home for the dying, and you, it's like that goes away. It's like this, like you're wearing, you know, the, you know the big, like, heavy blanket they put on you at the dentist? That's like what's on your soul um, it's like lead or something, I don't know. So it's like, it's like that on your soul as you're walking around and you walk into Mother Teresa's home for the dying and it's like that comes off. And there's peace and it's clean and it's like this, just this, this amazing thing and, and there are these people and they're caring for folks, giving them dignity as they die and it's just the most beautiful thing in the world and it's almost like you can, you can tangibly walk from one unseen reality into the other side. It's like you're crossing from the demonic control into the, the like angelic control, and it's the craziest thing, and then you walk back out again, and the weight comes back on you because you have to get to the cab or the car, you know, and you have to walk back out through that. Those things, there are times when we experience the intermingling of the seen and the unseen. And Paul is trying to get them, like this church, to understand that some of the things you're battling uh, are because of your, your own brokenness that you bring to the table, and you're working your way through your salvation, and you're trying to, to understand who Jesus is, and you're healing, and you're being restored little by little by little by little. Some of that is just your own stuff that you bring to the table, and some of it is being made more complicated by the unseen battles that are going on around you. So look at verse 10. I'm going to have to fly through this. Okay. Verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, so when he's talking about rulers and authorities and, and, and all this kind of stuff, he's talking about Satan and his like demonic control over the present world that we live in at this point. That Jesus has defeated Satan in this in this like uh, this kind of like timeless kind of sense, like the war has already been won. But yet these battles continue because God and his sovereignty has decided that the best way for the gospel to get to everyone is for the church to take it to them. So these summer missionaries are representing something that we're all called to do is to take that gospel to people. And as we're taking that gospel to people that they can respond to the grace that we've been singing about, as we are doing that, 
God is supporting us and empowering us, and his angels are playing whatever role he wants them to play, but the other side is coming at us as well, trying to keep that from happening, trying to keep us from growing and maturing in our sanctification. It's trying to keep people from knowing Jesus who have never met him before. And so there's this unseen battle that's going on. And so when it talks about the rulers and authorities and, and the cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil, that is what is, that's the reality that we are dealing with. Is that there is some power up against us. Satan is a dog on a leash. Okay? God only lets him, lets him do what God wants him to do. He's not like running wild, doing whatever he wants all the time. But there is like this activity that's there. And so we live in this overlap between those two worlds. This kingdom that, where God is the boss... And Jesus is ruling, and he is reigning, and he is interceding for us, and he is, he is in control of his church. And also, he is leading us through life, and the enemy is just, there, there is this unseen enemy trying to mess with us all the time. And you'll notice in verse 11, um, it says, that, talking about being able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Let me give you four, four things that, and this, it's just four of the many, okay? Four, four ways that, that, that the enemy is scheming against you, okay? Um, and I'm a little, I can't tell if I'm proud of this or embarrassed by this, but they all end in Asian. So, um, I don't, not, not Asian, sorry. Uh, I don't remember, they all end in T-I-O-N. I don't know what that would be. Okay, um, there's deception, there's accusation, there's temptation, and there's aggravation. Yeah, there's some Asians in there. So, um, I would get an A in my seminary paper if I did that. They love that stuff. So, um, deception, accusation, temptation, aggravation. Uh, The schemes of the devil are going to kind of show up in those kinds of ways. Deception, um, like that warfare is going to come and just, he's going to lie to you. And when I say he, I'm not talking about like Satan himself. Um, He is not omnipresent. He's only one place he can only be one place at one time. But I'm just going to say he, because like the, that demonic realm kind of respond to him. They all take on those same qualities. So, um, yeah. Okay, so there's deception. Like, just straight, just lies to us. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, because you have probably been in a situation where all of a sudden, this thought enters your mind, and you're like, where in the world did that come from? You're just going about your life, and you're thinking about something. You're like, huh, maybe it was an interaction with someone. You're like, man, that was kind of a weird interaction. And then you think, yeah, because they hate you. And you're like, what? And then you're like, well, maybe they do hate me. And then it just snowballs after that. Maybe you have been, maybe you've been trying to, to. Um, have some victory in your life, and maybe maybe there's like some sort of sin pattern you've been really working on, and then you kind of stumble back into it. And what do you begin to think about yourself? You're probably not even a Christian, are you? A real Christian wouldn't struggle with that. Now, does that sound like Jesus to you? No. It's the exact opposite. But those lies that get whispered to us, that's what Satan does. He's all about deception, lying to you, 
causing you to question the truth about God, about the Bible, about the church, about yourself, about your friends, about your community group, about this church, whatever it is, he's going to lie and lie and lie. And sometimes he will like pick this lie that's the exact opposite, but a lot of times he'll pick a lie that's just a little bit off. Just believable enough to distract you from the goodness of your Savior. There's deception. The second one, there's uh, accusation. So when he comes in and he's just, he's, he's just trying to accuse you, saying, look, look what you did. Look what you did. How can a believer ever do this? There's no way that Jesus is really going to forgive you of that. There's no way that the cross was enough for that. Just accusing, accusing, accusing. The third one, there's temptation. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, you weren't being tempted at all, and then it's almost like out of nowhere, suddenly like something just comes alive in you, and you have this, this idea that was planted somehow. He's all about tempting us. Adam and Eve were standing, standing in the garden, probably not really thinking about the, the tree on that fruit, making them equivalents with God. And Satan comes in and just begins to whisper to them, God's not who you think he is. That's not really what's going to happen. He's trying to keep you from being just like him. He's holding out on you. Are you going to let him do that? It's the enemy. It's the enemy. The last one, aggravation. He'll take that just already existing stress or anxiety that you have and just begin to just nitpick away. You ever been on like a six and all of a sudden you go to ten just instantly? Sometimes that's you. Sometimes it's not, though. So he's lying to us and he's accusing us and he's tempting us and he's complicating things. And there's just all this ridiculousness as if we don't have enough going on already. Right? Like I have enough brokenness that I bring to the table without an enemy coming in and fanning that into flame through all these different tactics. And so part of what Paul is trying to do is help them to realize, look, like there is this unseen battle that's going on. You have an enemy who hates you, and he hates your God, and he hates what your God is doing, and he hates that you have been redeemed and because he has not, and he is just angry and arrogant and really thinks that he can still win. And he hates you, and he hates your marriage, and he hates your family, and he hates your community group, and he hates your friends, and he hates your church, and he hates everything that's going on. So, uh, luckily the story doesn't end there, right? Everything is not to be blamed on him, but we have to recognize this activity. So that's the first thing. that Spiritual warfare is real. And if you start to think about it, like really let the Lord show you, there are times when you can just, you can just peg it. Like during the 30 days of prayer every year, there's just, this, like, there's just these different things where this, the warfare changes there are these problems that come up and, and just these tensions that just will emerge. And it's like, oh, it's because people are praying. So, of course, there's going to be a spike in the activity of the demonic around us. You know, All these summer missionaries who are going out to serve, Satan is already messing with their lives. The more, the more driven you are to pray and into the scriptures, he's going to mess with your life. When you and your family get on mission about loving your neighbors, it's coming at you. Any time we get for real, the activity goes up to the point where we should be worried when we cannot sense any sort of like attack against us. 
Because that just means we're just being completely neutral. And so it's weird to be encouraged by the activity of the demonic. That's usually because God's like, yeah, you're, you know, you're getting it right. Keep going. But won't that make the attack worse? Yes. But Paul doesn't stop there of saying like, yeah, there's all this bad stuff going on, so just good luck with that. He keeps talking about the armor. And so the second point, God has equipped you for battle. So as we go about our lives and the kingdom continues to break through more and more, and the world's being reconciled and restored and... Satan just keeps fighting and fighting and fighting. But God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And that includes equipping us for this battle that's going on. So, you know, verse 10. So be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. In every commentary that I read in studying this, these scholars would point back to other parts of the letter. To the Ephesians, when he's saying, "What is it? What does it mean? Like, what what is the what is the point here of being strong in the Lord and the strength of His might?" He's pointing back to raising Jesus from the dead and saving sinners. And that's the display. That's that's where you find your strength in this God who has overcome death. And has crossed you from death into life and brought you into this resurrected life. That's where we find our strength. It's not in our own abilities. It's not in ourselves. Verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Uh, it's not your armor. He doesn't say, hey, you be sure to armor up, you know. He says, no, it's the armor of God. It's not your own. Because he has won and he is winning and he will win. Spiritual battle requires spiritual fighting. So look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit and with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Here's the broad stroke uh, takeaway from this. You know, sometimes like people will focus on the pieces of armor themselves and how they functioned on a Roman soldier. And some people think that Paul was writing this from prison, looking at, uh, that while he was in prison, he's looking at a guard standing there. And there's just different, different ways of thinking of it. And um, in studying through this and reading commentaries and different scholars, they all pointed back to the fact that Paul is really using imagery from the Old Testament where God just describes himself. In the book of Isaiah, and in the Wisdom of Solomon, which is an, an, like, it's a book that's outside of the Bible, but the rabbis it played a very important role in Judaism, that God describes himself in these ways. 
So what Paul is really saying when he says, put on the, the whole armor of God, he's saying God is the one that protects you from head to toe. Like God himself is who you are clothed in for this battle. That you are fully equipped because you have him. And so that's not to say, you know, I, I know people who will, they'll pray this armor of God over their lives and they'll kind of like get dressed spiritually, you know, and they'll, and they'll go through that progression. I think that's great. But to think about it in that terms, and he says it's the armor of God, it's not just some like pieces that God has given you to protect yourself. He's saying, no, put on God. The whole armor of God. Put on God. He's given us truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the scriptures. Truth ties everything together. Righteousness is about your heart. Peace in that oneness with God. Faith uh, putting trust over our doubts, salvation, and the renewal of our minds, the scriptures. That's how Jesus fought the, the enemy, that he's given you everything that you need. That we have nothing to be afraid of in this battle that's going on. And yeah, we've seen a lot of movies. You know, we've seen some weird things out there. And there's some stuff out there that it's like, it's, you know, it's strange. I've seen things that I wish I could unsee, but at the end of the day, it's like... Paul's like, look, this is going on, and you just need to know that the enemy is trying to complicate your life. He's trying to tempt you and deceive you and accuse you and just complicate everything. You just need to know that that's going on and know that, that it's like this like really pathetic battle, this little lame attempt to try and like distract you from the goodness of your Savior. It's really kind of sad. But when we're not dialed into that, when we're pretending like that doesn't exist, then it becomes effective. And you see, you see marriages struggle over it. You see friendships divided over that. You see churches split down the middle. You see a whole culture that's fracturing left and right and right before our eyes because we're buying into so many things around us where the devil's just whispering to the world around us and to us all the time. Trying, just trying to mess with us. And so we can't blame him for everything, but we also can't pretend like it doesn't exist. We have to let God show us what's going on. So spiritual warfare is real. Two, God has equipped you for the battle. The third point, you have to show up and fight. And this is how that happens. So Paul says, put on the armor and you have to stand so that you can withstand. You know, there's all this battle imagery, and he talks about we're, we're wrestling. And so sometimes he's, he just, he's using language that's equivalent with like a battlefield. And other times he's using language that's more like the gymnasium, like there's this wrestling match. And whatever's going on, Paul's like, look, you cannot just like fail to show up. You have to be... Not only like defensive, but you have to be like not. Well, we have to be on offense. I don't say offensive. That's weird. But you have to like you have to be in attack mode and you have to be in defense mode both at the same time. And so you have to show up. And the way that that happens is in verse eighteen, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. 
To that end, keep alert. When he says praying at all times in the Spirit, he's talking about you're, you're conspiring with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Like the Spirit of God is in you, and you're conspiring with Him at all times about these battles, about the, the battle in the flesh that you're living every day to try and grow and mature and, and to heal more and more, and also the battles in the unseen world around us. The Spirit is able to see it all. We can't, you know. So God is helping us. And so when he says pray in the Spirit, that's what he's talking about. You're conspiring with the Spirit, and you, like, you get dressed in God through prayer. Like that's, that's how you fight the battle. To that end, keep alert. That phrase, I think, I think that needs to become important to us. To that end, keep alert. Prayerlessness might be a major reason why our lives don't always look the way that we want them to and that they should. Prayerlessness might be a, a huge reason why a, a lot of things we look at and we just shake our head and we're like, what's, what are we, what's going on? Is because we're not alert. To that end, keep alert. As if Jesus' perfect leadership of our lives was not enough, to make us driven to prayer. I mean, they think about it like the sovereign creator and one giving guidance to the universe who never makes a mistake invites you to dialogue about your life. You know, As if that's not enough, this is another reason to drive us to pray. To pray for and to pray with to pray for yourself, to pray for your marriage and, w- and with your spouse, to pray for your kids and with your kids, to pray with your friends and for your friends, with your community group and for your community group, with your church and for your church, with the church, capital C, and for the church, capital C, and your neighborhood and your neighbors and your coworkers, and it goes on and on and on. This is, should be driving us to that end we should be alert. So, if you need some inspiration to get, to get you praying, then maybe there it is. I would issue some unique challenges to the men in the room. Um, if you are, especially if you are a husband, if you are a father, if you aspire to be a husband or a father, um, you need to be given some leadership in this in the home, and, uh, and, and in, in every environment that we come into. It's not, that's nothing against women, okay? Just saying. The enemy is obviously working against us in a lot of ways, and I think our men really need to take heed to this, to be alert to that end. So I'll just leave that there, okay? Um, so I, I don't know what this means going forward. Uh, I, think, I think the application is has a couple of different places to land. I think there's a personal application. And I think as you, and you think in all the different pockets of your life, whatever your life looks like, it, it means something in all those different ways. So friendships and marriages and parenting and like all those kind of different things and your, your community group and our church, I think, is like uh, as God stirs us into like community engagement through our small groups and different things, enemy 
coming at us. Like anything that we do that's like, like dialing into the kingdom, the enemy's going to show up. And so however it applies to you, uh, like that's a stewardship issue. You know? And so we're going to do what we do. right? We kind of respond in some ways. And one of the ways that you can respond, and just hear, hear me out. Um, you know, there'll be communion up here. And it's the kind where you, you know, you'll tear off the bread and you'll dip it in the, in the juice there and you'll take it yourself. And that is a response because uh, Jesus is the one that's holding out this like, victorious like, path for you. That Jesus has already paved the way so we don't have to wonder about these battles in terms of like, what's going to happen. He's equipped us. And so by stepping to the table, you are saying, I need what Jesus is offering to me. I need the grace that he's holding out. I need grace to fight. I need grace to pray. I need grace as I confess that I do not pray. I don't want to. And that, those confessions and those kinds of things. And so that's an option. You can always come kneel here and pray. You can stay where you are. There'll be people moving around. That's kind of becoming a normal thing for us. Um, but we're just going to respond. And we're going to sing some songs that are victorious songs. Because a, a conversation about spiritual warfare should not leave us fearful. It should always leave us in awe of the power of God and the goodness of Jesus to us and more confident in who he has made us. Because spiritual warfare is real, but he has completely hooked us up. And if you're ready to start showing up and to that end being alert, then maybe these next few moments will be really good for you to just kind of just be with the Lord and be with other people who are kind of stirring in the same kind of deal. So let's stand together.